What about the lost person who has never heard the gospel? Who knows how many times that question has been asked through the years? As you well know, sometimes it is asked by people who really want an answer. Other times it is asked by skeptics who are trying to throw up objections to the Bible, objections to Christianity, or trying to somehow discredit Christ and the gospel. What about the lost person who has never heard the gospel? To answer that question, we usually think of Romans chapter 1 because there Paul deals with the subject of the lost pagan or the lost heathen. And Romans 1 is certainly an appropriate passage to which we could turn to deal with that issue of what about the lost person who has never heard the gospel. But I believe there are other passages that shed great light on the subject, even if they don't answer all the questions, they certainly shed great light on the subject. And one of those passages is Acts chapter 8. So let's turn there together to the fifth book of the New Testament. After the four Gospels, we have the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the Acts of the Risen Christ, whichever title you prefer, usually just shortened to be called Acts. Acts chapter 8, and follow along as I read verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as the lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at this, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. In my opinion, there is no greater illustration in all the Bible of God's willingness, God's desire, God's interest to get the message of truth to the person who really wants to know it. Sometimes when people ask the question, what about the lost who have never heard the gospel? They ask it in a skeptical way, assuming 
assuming that there are people out there who would respond to the gospel if only they had a chance. And what they are doing is implying that God is unfair. Because in their minds, there are all kinds of people out there who want to know the truth, but God is too unkind to let them hear it, and yet he will still send them to hell. But this passage is a vivid illustration of God's eagerness to get the truth to a genuinely seeking heart. Beloved, understand something. No one will ever stand before the judgment bar of God and say, But God, I wanted to know you and your Son, the Lord Jesus, but I didn't have the opportunity because I never heard the gospel. If I had heard it, I would have responded, but now I'm consigned to hell because I never heard the gospel. That will never happen. God is not unrighteous or unfair. He will get the truth to the person who really wants it, as we see here. The problem is not with God's willingness or ability to get the truth to people. The problem is the human heart, as I'll explain later. So here we see a tremendous illustration of God's eagerness to bring the truth to a seeking heart as God in this story goes to great lengths to reach even one lost sheep. This passage really shows God's loving heart because he took Philip away from the multitudes in Samaria just to reach this one man. No one is unimportant to God. Even though it might only be one out of a hundred, no one is insignificant. This story is a beautiful illustration of that marvelous truth. Let's look at it together to see what Dr. Luke has to tell us about this phenomenal story. Verse 26 opens by saying, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, And go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert or a deserted place. Now you you need to understand that Philip had a very effective ministry going on up in Samaria. Dr. Luke records this fact back in verses 5 and 6 of this chapter where we read, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Look at that. Multitudes of people were responding to Philip's preaching, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So Philip was being greatly used by God. But now, inexplicably, an angel tells him to leave, to leave these multitudes of responsive people to go to a desert road. This wouldn't make sense. Why would you leave the populated cities and villages of Samaria to go to a desert road, especially when the Samaritans were so receptive, so responsive to the gospel? That's a valid question. But Philip was submissive even though it didn't make sense. He didn't let pride hold him back. Like, what what, what am I going down there away from everyone? And I've got all sorts of people listening to me here. No, he was told to leave a successful ministry to go to a deserted place, and he went. The only thing that was there was a road which ran between Egypt and Jerusalem. 
and the, and the road Philip was to go to was not one that led through the more populous sections of the country. There was a road that the unit could have taken, and it would have gone through more populous sections of the country. But this was one that led through the rather uninhabited parts. That's why we are told this is desert or a deserted place. I'm sure Philip was confused because he didn't know what was going on. He didn't know that the great shepherd wanted to reach one solitary lost sheep way out in the desert. I see a principle here in verse 26 that I don't want us to miss, and it is this. God calls on us to obey him whether we understand or not. Isn't that what God did with Abraham? God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac in whom was the promise. Abraham followed through without question until the Lord intervened and stopped him. Beloved, we may not understand everything in God's word that he tells us to do, but it is not up to us to determine whether or not it will be obeyed. It is our job to obey whether we understand it or not. As an illustration of this, back up one book to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. John 21, one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture, by far. One of my favorite places to visit in Israel whenever we go there. The location on the north side of the Sea of Galilee that commemorates this story. John 21, verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, that's John, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. That's the issue. The Lord doesn't see fit to answer all of our questions in this life, but it is our responsibility to follow him, period. That's exactly what Philip did in Acts chapter 8. Now let's go back to that story. There's one other thought I want to bring out of verse 26 before we move on from it. And it is this issue. Why did the Lord send the angel to get Philip to leave a successful work in Samaria when the Lord could have just sent that angel to reach this man? Have you ever thought about that one? Why not? Why send an angel up to Samaria and say, you go to just send the angel there to reach the man? Why? Why do it this way? The answer to that question is because the Lord has chosen us to be the instruments to minister the gospel to the lost, not angels. 
1 Peter 1.12 indicates that the angels don't completely understand the great salvation God has given us, so they desire to look into it to learn about it. Angels have never experienced redemption. Angels cannot experience redemption. So God's plan is to have those of us who have experienced redemption to be the messengers. Are you faithful in that responsibility? God could have chosen to use angels, but he chose not to. We see the same thing in Acts 10 with Cornelius. Even though an angel was a part of that story, when it came down to delivering the gospel, it was a human instrument to deliver the gospel. Philip was faithful. So verse 27 tells us, after this command to leave this successful ministry and go, verse 27, so he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. And now, of course, we're breaking right in the middle of a sentence. But stop there for just a moment. It's important to see that this man was searching How do we know that? He had traveled over 200 miles to Jerusalem to worship. The journey was difficult and not without danger, but that did not matter to this man. He was seeking. He was hungry. He reminds me of the man that I mentioned a moment ago in Acts chapter 10 named Cornelius. God worked in the heart of Cornelius and caused him to seek for the true and living God. That's what's happening in this man's life. God has been stirring this man's heart, and it's all about to come to fruition. God not only began working to draw the man and give him a seeking heart, but God also is arranging all the details to get the truth to this seeking heart. By the way, the reason I know God is behind all of this is because Romans 3 says there is none who seeks after God. In and of ourselves, we don't seek God. We don't want God. In our natural condition, we want nothing to do with God. That's why Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The Father was obviously drawing this man. So in verse 28... Dr. Luke continues his description. He says this man was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. It is very likely that he bought this scroll in Jerusalem when he went there to worship. Because even though he had gone there to worship, he was returning still empty. He's still empty. And there is some indication, by the way, that he purposely chose this desolate road. I mentioned earlier he could have taken a different route. It wasn't so desolate. So there's an indication that he purposely chose this desolate road so it would be more private and he, and, and he wouldn't be interrupted in his reading of Isaiah's prophecy. He had gone to Jerusalem for some answers. But because he was returning without them, he's still searching. Now think about this fact. Here was a man who went to the most religious place in the world. And I know some of you have been there. You've been to Jerusalem. It's just mass religion. Here was a man who who went to the most religious place in the world, but he was returning without Christ. That's not uncommon, you know. The sad fact is the vast majority of the people returning from religious centers, wherever they are around the world, are returning home without Christ because most of them are only religion without any reality. But here's the good news. 
if their hearts are genuinely seeking for the truth, then God will get it to them one way or another. This, this entire story is a perfect illustration. As I think about this story and that truth, I can't help but think of some of the testimonies I've heard through the years from people here in our church, whether it's at a baptismal service or just on a personal level, testimonies of people who were involved in cults or they were involved in apostate churches that that did not believe the Word of God, did not hold to the Word of God, and yet because their hearts were longing for the truth, sincerely seeking for the truth, God brought them out of those cults or apostate churches and brought them to the truth. This man... This eunuch wanted to know the true God of heaven. So he was looking for him in the religion of the Jews. He wanted to know the God of heaven, so he goes to Jerusalem. It's interesting, as a side note, that since this man was a eunuch, he could not become a full Jewish proselyte, according to Deuteronomy 23.1. But that didn't matter to him. He just wanted to know the truth of God and the God of the truth. That's what he wanted. So verse 29, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. By the way, this was probably a very large procession since this man was such a high-ranking official. We are told that he was in charge of the treasury of the Queen of Ethiopia who had the title Candace. That's not a name. It's, it's a title like king or pharaoh. So Philip saw this large procession out in the middle of the desert, and the Holy Spirit told him to approach the man who was the dignitary of the procession. Again, let me emphasize this. We see the fact that the Holy Spirit told Philip to join the man because Philip was to be the messenger. The Holy Spirit could have spoken verbally to this eunuch. Can the Holy Spirit speak verbally? Sure he can. But he, he could have spoken verbally to this eunuch to explain the passage, but that's not the way God has chosen to work. His plan is to use us, human messengers. What a thrill to be used of God as Philip is about to be used of God. There is no, beloved, there's no greater privilege in the world. So verse 30 tells us, Philip ran to him. And heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? It was customary in those days for people to read out loud. Very common. So Philip recognized that he was reading from Isaiah as he hears this, this, this man reading. By the way, could you do that? If someone were to read out loud from a passage in the Bible, could you identify where it is found? Now, I'm not talking about some obscure passage or just a verse. I'm talking about someone reading from an especially significant passage. Could you identify it? That's a good challenge for all of us, not to be content with our knowledge of God's Word. Philip, Philip knew this man was reading from Isaiah. So he asked the man if he understood what he was reading. Verse 31, and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him in his chariot. This man not only had a seeking heart, he had a humble heart, teachable heart. He wanted Philip to explain Isaiah's prophecy. He wanted to know. Verse 32 tells us the place in the Scripture which he read was this. 
He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Those, those verses are from Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, and they speak of the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 is all about God's suffering servant, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And God, God amazingly, but not surprisingly, had this man specifically reading the section about the death of Jesus. God's timing is so perfect. Verse 34, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? That's a fascinating question. Let me tell you why. It is so interesting that this man knew that Isaiah was speaking of some individual, either himself or someone else. You say, well, what's so significant about that? Well, what is so significant about that is because the common view of the Jewish people is that Isaiah 53 is about the nation of Israel. It's not about an individual. It's a view that Jewish people in general have conveniently adopted to steer away from the possibility that Isaiah 53 is about Jesus of Nazareth. But as this man read in Isaiah 53, he knew it wasn't talking about a nation. He knew it was talking about an individual. So this man could see what the Jewish people today still refuse to see as they pass off or dismiss Isaiah 53 by applying it to the suffering nation of Israel rather than the suffering servant of Israel, namely Messiah Jesus. The eunuch knew this was talking about an individual. He just didn't know specifically to whom it was referring. So he asks Philip, of whom is this talking about? Who is this describing? Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. Philip was able to answer this man's question and to show that the prophecy was about Jesus of Nazareth. Philip started where the man was at in his understanding. Again, I have to ask you as I ask myself this question, can we do this? Can we answer people's questions about Scripture and about the Lord Jesus? You see, to be able to start where people are at in their seeking and in their questioning, you have to know God's Word. If you don't, then let it be a challenge to you and not a discouragement to you. Don't be discouraged. Just be challenged. Even if you can't answer everyone's question, and who can? No one can. You can always say, I don't know, but I'll check it out. I'll, I'll research it, and I'll get back to you. Philip was ready and able to answer this man's question. He took the man where he was at, and he presented to him the Lord Jesus. What a powerful illustration of Paul's words about reaching people for the Lord Jesus in 1 Corinthians 9. Turn over there for just a moment. Turn to the right past Romans to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and look at how Paul described this. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 Paul says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, 
as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law. Now, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. In other words, he says, I'm not talking about that, you know, antinomianism or just living a, 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 a sinful life. No, I, I'm just talking about not being under the law proper, but I still recognize my, my responsibility to be obedient to Christ. And then he says that I might win those who are without law. Verse 22, to the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Paul was brilliant at being able to relate to people where they were at in order to win them or to try to win them to Christ. Beloved, we need to learn to do this. We need to really give thought to this. Paul was able to do this without compromising. That's often one of the most difficult parts. We have to learn to relate to people without doing one of two things. The ditch on both sides of the road. Without overwhelming them and without compromising in order to win them. That balance is extremely difficult to maintain. So frankly, some Christians have just decided not to even try. For example, some Christians are so overwhelming with unbelievers and so harsh, so obnoxious that they turn people off because of their personality and their approach And then those same Christians pacify their consciences by saying, well, people aren't open to the gospel. On the other hand, there are Christians who want to relate so much to unbelievers that they compromise in their lives or they water down the truth. As an illustration, I remember when one of our college men came to me one time, this was a few years ago, because he was involved with a ministry Uh, a a ministry in the community here that wanted to reach high school students for Christ. And this young man was really struggling, and he came to talk to me about it because he was concerned that the youth workers that he was involved with allowed the high school students to talk about and brag about and laugh about their immorality. His concern was valid. That kind of relating to lost people is counterproductive. Laughing at their immorality, that's not the kind of relating that Paul did. Paul was able to relate to where people were at without compromise. It's a a difficult balance, but one that we have to work at. Now back to our text there in Acts chapter 8. So Luke tells us as he continues to unfold the story, he tells us in verse 36... Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Evidently, in his searching, this man had learned that Gentiles were baptized when they became Jewish proselytes. That was a fact, by the way. That was something that had come up near the end of the Old Testament era or in the intertestamental period. It was a common way to publicly express conversion to Judaism. That's why when John the baptizer burst on the scene demanding people to be baptized, everyone knew what he was talking about. Baptism wasn't a new thing with John or with Jesus. 
But it did take on a new significance in the ministry of Jesus because it symbolized far more than just becoming a Jewish proselyte. So this man wanted to make a public statement of his faith in Jesus Christ right there in front of his entire caravan. And so we read in verse 37 in some of your versions. I'll comment in just a moment. Don't feel like you're lost if you can't track at this point. But verse 37, then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now some of your translations don't contain this verse because it doesn't appear in many of the Greek manuscripts. It's certainly a summary of what happened in their discussion. Philip would have never baptized this man if the man believed that baptism is what saves you. Think about it this way. What good would it do if this man changed from believing that worshiping in Jerusalem saves you to believing that baptism saves you? To believe in either one is to be lost. Only Jesus Christ saves. No ceremony, no ritual. That is why in 1 Corinthians 1.17, Paul said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Paul didn't want there to be any confusion about how a person is saved or what is the gospel. We are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, not by ceremony. Paul took his lead from Jesus himself. John 4, 1 says that Jesus saw to it that his disciples were baptized because it's an important act of obedience and an important public statement. But the very next verse, John 4, 2 says, Jesus didn't actually do the baptizing because no doubt there would have been those who would have thought that your baptism isn't as good if done by someone other than Jesus. Or even worse, there surely would have been those who believe that being baptized is how you are saved. Therefore, Jesus didn't actually do the baptizing So there would be no confusion as to its meaning. Verse 38, So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. This Ethiopian eunuch wanted to make a public statement of his faith in Jesus Christ in front of his entire entourage. You know, that's a commendable attitude. This guy had no plans of being a closet Christian. He he wasn't going to be a member of the Secret Service Christian Brigade. No, he wanted to make a public statement. I really respect this guy for this because, think about it, when you do something like this in front of people, in front of friends, family, employers, employees, then it builds accountability into your life. Think about it this way. When this man was baptized and made a public stand for Christ, it was basically an invitation for all of his subordinates in this caravan to watch his life with a magnifying glass to see the difference Christ makes in a life. That's that's a healthy accountability for every Christian. That's one of the reasons why a public declaration through baptism is so important to the Lord. When you make a public statement of your devotion to Christ, then that carries with it a built-in responsibility to maintain a consistent testimony, which is a good thing. That's a good kind of accountability. So verse 39 tells us, Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. 
This Ethiopian eunuch finally found what he was looking for. He had an empty heart that was longing for the truth. And when he found the truth in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are told he went on his way rejoicing. The joy of a new Christian is invigorating, isn't it? I love to be around new Christians because there's so much joy in their new relationship with Christ. Unfortunately, those of us who have known the Lord for a long time often let other things become more important and basically steal our joy. What about you? Have you lost the joy of your salvation? Have you been a Christian so long that you're, you no longer find joy in the fact that you are a child of God and your sins are forgiven? If so, then you have left your first love and you need to go back to that simple devotion you once had to the Lord Jesus. Do you remember what Paul said about this? Skip over to the right to 2 Corinthians 11. This is a verse that uh, if you don't have memorized, you ought to put to memory or at least know where it's found and, and have it so that you can summarize it. Very, very important verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Paul says this, But I fear... But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Some versions say, you, so your minds may be corrupted away from the simple devotion to Christ. That's what happens to us as life gets more complicated. So we need to get back to the priority of our simple Devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the eunuch had, the Ethiopian eunuch had. And as a result, Dr. Luke tells us he had great joy. He went on his way rejoicing. He found what he was looking for. But in reality, you want me to tell you a secret? It was the Lord who found him. Look at Luke 15. Go back to the Gospel of Luke, same author as the book of Acts, Dr. Luke. And look at... Luke 15. Whenever someone becomes a Christian, this is what really happens. Verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Obviously, there's some sarcasm in that. It's not that there are people who need no repentance, but you get the point. Verse 8, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God. Don't misread that. It's not merely saying, it may be saying, but not merely saying that the angels of God rejoice. 
It says there is joy in the presence of the angels of God. And what or who is in the presence of the angels of God? God Himself. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. From a human perspective, we think we are the ones who find the Lord, but in reality, He's the one who finds us. He's the seeker. We see that so clearly in the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch because God miraculously put all the pieces together. God is the seeker. If we seek Him, it's because He is drawing us. Now back to Acts 8 as we close. Back to our text there. Notice the closing statement that Dr. Luke gives us to wrap up this story. He says in verse 40, But Philip was found at, and some translations are different here. Some say Ashdod, which is down near Gaza. Some say Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. I don't know if Dr. Luke is intending to be humorous there, but this verse is kind of funny to me because think about what it's saying. It's basically saying Philip didn't need to worry about taking the time to leave a successful and effective ministry in Samaria to go to a desert place. He didn't have to be worked up about it or concerned because once God was finished with him, he just caught him away and transported him to where God wanted to use him further. Philip didn't have to worry. God would just put him where he wanted him to be. Even miraculously, the verse reads. Now I want to conclude the message the way we began the message. Do you see why I said that God will get the truth to the person who really wants it? The problem, beloved, is not with God's willingness. The problem is not with God's ability to get the truth to people. This story illustrates the fact that God can and does move heaven and earth to get the truth to the genuinely seeking heart. And this same principle is reinforced two chapters later in Acts 10 with Cornelius, where God once again gives Peter three visions, gives Cornelius an angelic vision, just to get them together so Cornelius can hear the gospel. God can and does move heaven and earth to get the truth to a genuinely seeking heart. If you are a Christian, then God wants to use you in the process. He doesn't work through angels. Now, he may work circumstantially, but I mean, he doesn't work to give the gospel through angels. He doesn't even work through the Holy Spirit verbally giving the message, which could have happened in this story. Instead, he works through the human messenger. Are you willing to be used by God? If not, understand something. God will still get the job done through someone else. But you'll miss the thrill and blessing of being an instrument of God. My prayer is that all of us would reaffirm our desire to be used by God to reach one lost sheep. May God give us his heart for the lost. Let's pray together as we close. Oh, Father, what a beautiful story. Thank you so much for seeing fit to, by your spirit, guide Dr. Luke to record this in Holy Scripture. There are so many facets to this story, so many angles, so many aspects. But right at the heart of it, right at the heart, we see in such a powerful way how willing you are, how eager you are to get the truth to anyone who would embrace it. To think that you 
prompted an angel of the Lord to speak to Philip, who was way far away, and pull him out of a successful and effective ministry and get him to go to a deserted place and then to have the Holy Spirit say to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot rather than the Spirit himself speaking directly to the man. All of this illustrates for us in such a powerful way how far you are willing to go, how much you are willing to do to get the truth of the gospel to the seeking heart. And Father, what a joy, what a privilege is ours to be used as Philip was, to be the messenger. Father, thank you for that privilege. Thank you that you've chosen to use us, not angels, to be your messenger. Thank you that you want the gospel to go through those to be transferred from those who have experienced redemption, which angels have not and cannot. So, Lord, take the, the many different truths that, that percolate up from this tremendous story and encourage our hearts with these, challenge our hearts with these, instruct us with these truths. And may we see just how up-to-date, relevant, practical, piercing, and powerful your word really is. Use the truth of your word in our hearts and lives as you see the need in each of us. And you know where we are each at individually and where we need to be encouraged or challenged. So we ask your spirit would do that in our hearts and lives. And in closing, we ask that you would give us the same kind of heart for the lost that our shepherd has. The shepherd who's willing to reach one lost sheep in a deserted place. May we have his heart as we pray in his name. Amen.